Welcome to the Mercy Commons. My name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's my privilege uh, to be bringing the Word of God. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we um, have jumped out of our Guarded Work series. Uh, we had Matt with us and uh, Terry Virgo. We dive back into our God at Work series this morning. And just by way of recap, um, because it seems so long ago, uh, we started with the idea of the fact that every single one of us has a primary call and a secondary call. Our primary call is to be with Him, and our secondary call is whatever our vocation is as we do for His glory. So that was what we did in the very first week of God at Work. The second week, we, we looked at the fact that our work is a sanctifying tool, uh, that God uses our work to be able to shape us and mold us. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the idea of how we respond when we feel like our work is fruitless or meaningless. Um, and I'm going to pray because this is quite a hard topic. Um, so I just want to pray before we start. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that you've already met and ministered uh, to so many of your precious children. Uh, but I want to thank you that, uh, that the power of your word is able to separate soul from spirit. I want to pray that you would uh, allow me to be a vessel of grace and truth. And I want to pray that uh, as we listen, we would posture ourselves, not only with a spirit of receptivity, but with a desire to align ourselves to that which is best for our flourishing. Uh, God, we pray this in your name and for your glory. So I'm going to uh, read out of the book of Ecclesiastes. So those of you that know the book of Ecclesiastes, buckle up. Those of you that don't know the book of Ecclesiastes, you're about to get a shock. Okay. Ecclesiastes 2, verses 17 to 26, and I'm reading out of the Common English Bible. So I hated life. That's a great start, right? <laughs> so I hated life because of the things that happened under the sun. They were troublesome to me. Definitely, everything is pointless, just wind chasing. I hated the things that I worked so hard for here under the sun because I will have to leave them to someone who comes after me. And who knows whether that one will be wise or foolish. Either way, that person will have control over the results of my hard work and wisdom here under the sun. That too is pointless or vanity or meaningless. Then I gave myself up to despair as I thought about all my laborious hard work under the sun because sometimes... Those who have worked hard with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave the result of their hard work as a possession to those who haven't worked for it. This too is pointless. It's a terrible wrong. I mean, what do people get for all their hard work and struggles under the sun? All their days are pain and their work is aggravation. Even at night, their hearts don't find rest. This too is pointless. There's nothing better for human beings than to eat, drink, and experience pleasure in their hard work. I also saw that this is from God's hand. Who can eat and find enjoyment otherwise? Because God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please God. But to those who are offensive, God gives the task of hoarding and accumulating. But only so as to give it to those who do not please God. This too is pointless and a chasing after the wind or a grasping at smoke. Wow, Nick. It's quite a downer. It's 
Part of the reason why I love the Word of God, there is nothing under the sun that is not touched by the Word of God. Uh, every aspect of our humanity is detailed. And what I want to say about the book of Ecclesiastes is this is not sour grapes. Now, sour grapes is the idea that, you know, this little fox was jumping, trying to reach these grapes on the vine um, and couldn't do it and basically said, well, they're probably sour anyway. This is not a person that has tried to reach goals and failed and is now cynical and hardened because of that. Uh, this is talking about King Solomon. And this is a man who was incredibly successful. He was fabulously wealthy. He was politically successful. He built this ornate and impressive temple. He was so incredibly rich that other governments came to look at his wealth. He would build a temple that would outlast him, kind of sounds a little like Ecclesiastes, for four centuries. But guess what? That temple was destroyed. And exactly what he was fearing actually came to pass. This is also a man who decided he's going to pursue three things in terms of meaning in life. He's going to pursue learning and wisdom, and he achieved that. He's going to pursue pleasure, and he achieved that. He's going to pursue achievement, and he, and he received that or achieved that. Ecclesiastes shows the necessity of fearing and loving God in a fallen and frequently confusing and frustrating world. Tim Keller quotes in his book, or a quote from Tim Keller in his book about uh, work, Every Good Endeavor, says this, Ecclesiastes is an argument that existential, which means the reason and nature of your existence, that existential dependence on a gracious God, not only an abstract belief, is a precondition for an unshakable and purposeful life. Ecclesiastes is an argument that existential dependence on a gracious God, not only an abstract belief, is a precondition for an unshakable and purposeful life. So this is critical to remember when our work seems pointless, fruitless, meaningless, and boring. We need to understand that, so we're going to take a deeper look at the problem. The first thing we're going to look at is when our work appears fruitless. Uh, Nelson Mandela is probably one of the most well-known political prisoners in the era of apartheid, but he was only one of many that were um, incarcerated on Robben Island. Um, and in Robben Island, there was a lime quarry. Uh, and we don't use lime these days, so what the guards did uh, was that they would take one truck from one side of the quarry to the other side of the quarry. They would have all the prisoners load the truck up with these heavy limestone, they would put it on the truck, they would drive the truck to the other side of the quarry, and they would get them to unload it. They literally did this every day, every week, every month, year after year. And when he was interviewed, it wasn't the isolation, it wasn't even the hatred and the venom from the guards, it wasn't a lot of the things that you would experience if you were in prison that was one of the most difficult things for them to deal with. It was this pointless, fruitless work where all this energy just meant nothing. Now, how many of us sometimes feel that way? How many of us sometimes feel that whatever we do just doesn't seem to matter in the context of our work? Now remember, I, I said that work itself is not a curse. It's become more difficult because of the invasion of sin in Genesis 3, and thorns and thistles um, grew as a result of man's disobedience. The introduction of thorns and thistles made it more difficult. 
uh, but work itself is not a curse. Uh, many of us feel in the context of our jobs that there are goals that we want to achieve, and we're not achieving those goals, that we're frustrated by our bosses, by our coworkers, by our environment. We look around and we don't see a harvest, and all we seem to see is thorns and thistles. Our hard work, our creativity, our dedication doesn't seem to grow. The only thing that seems to grow are thistles and thorns. I was surprised at the time of COVID when a lot of this was happening. There was a lot of fruitless and meaningless activity. Um, and how the growth of hobbies uh, actually spiked during COVID. And so one of the, one of the, diffi- do, do you need something? Do you need to get hold of someone? Sorry, okay. So. One, of, one, of the, one of the things that we decided was that we were going to get control. So one of the things that I did at COVID was I bought a bunch of wood and I chopped it. Why? Because there was a bunch of unchopped wood here and then there was a bunch of chopped wood over here. And I felt like at the end of the day, like I had achieved something. Because I was in this cycle, it seemed like, of meaningless and fruitless work. One of the challenges is that meaningless and fruitlessness can lead to burnout. I want to say this about burnout. Burnout is not about working long and difficult hours. Burnout is not necessarily even about work that is unfruitful. Um, Jonathan Malisic says in his book, The End of Burnout, says that burnout is the chronic experience of being stretched between your ideals for work and the reality of your job. It is the, the, the difference, the experience of being stretched between your ideals for work and the reality of your job. So it's not necessarily about how hard you work, because I can tell you this, when you work really hard and you see fruit for working really hard, there's still a sense in which I can continue and I can go on. But when you're working really hard and your expectation of output is so high and you're not achieving that, that gap is what makes burnout much more likely to happen. There's three dimensions to burnout that he mentions in his, in his book. And the one is just a sense of deep exhaustion that doesn't get better with rest. The other one is a sense of cynicism where you view your coworkers as enemies Uh, You view your environment as a problem, and you look at your own skill as, you look at yourself as the only one that is able to do their job in the context of your environment. The third dimension of burnout is ineffectiveness, as I've already stated. So what do we think about that? I know, the perfect job. That's all I need. The perfect job will insulate me from thorns and thistles. Now, let me say this. I know that I'm in a different situation than most of you. I know that the majority of people, a high percentage of people, are not functioning in a sense in which they love what they do and they have a sense of calling in what they're doing. But let me say this. I love what I do. I have a sense of call in terms of what I'm doing. But I, too, experience massive thorns and thistles. Even as I was preparing this, um, I had my little notifications, which I have now switched off, in terms of email. My notification comes up and I get this email. And literally I was sitting in my office and I just like went, oh. And I just had to walk around and just pray. Because even as I'm sowing seed, these thorns and thistles are growing. And it isn't my job and it isn't my output, but it's the fact that I'm deeply held by him 
that enables me to understand that as I continue to sow seed, there will be a harvest. You know, during COVID, a lot of people changed careers, a lot of people changed their environments, and, and let's be real, if you change your career, you change your environment, there is the possibility of greater fruitfulness. That, that is the way that it works. But it's not always the answer, because there are thorns and thistles everywhere. Everywhere you go, you go. And so this is what happens. There is a, there is a plant in South Africa called a blackjack, okay? This is a blackjack. I don't know why they call it a blackjack. I have no idea. It has nothing to do with gambling. So... Um, so what it does is, as you walk past this plant, this thorn attaches to you. Can you see the sock? That's not a hairy man, okay? That is a sock that is full of thorns. And so this is what we think. Let me change my environment. Let me go somewhere else. What happens? We take us with us when we go somewhere else. And God is trying to shape something and do something in you. And we think a change of environment is going to mean that we're not going to have thorns and thistles. Part of the problem is wherever we go, there are thorns and thistles. And most of the time, we end up taking our internal thorns and thistles with us. So that's work that is fruitless. What about work that is meaningless? Now, this is different. This means that there is an output. This means that you are seeing some fruit. It's not necessarily difficult. Your work is not difficult. It's not fruitless. But you're not convinced that it's making a difference. You're not convinced that there's a, a deep sense of meaning for you in your work. And you're also not convinced that there's a deep sense of meaning in the lives of others. Now, organizations are figuring this out. Organizations um, who want your money are figuring out that the way in which we can sell more of our product is to attach a fake story and narrative so that we can make people feel that by buying our product, they're actually part of some greater story. So, um, Sean gave me this example of M&Ms. Do you guys know what M&Ms are? They're candy, right? They're not candy. They are changing the world, okay? Because look, one for all and all for fun. M&Ms is a chocolate brand on a mission, okay? We believe in championing the power of fun to create a world where everyone feels like they belong. Our ambition is to upend the expected, the break through the barriers, and discover the little joys shared in everyday life. Imagine a world with less judgment and more connection and consistent laughter. Together, we can make this a reality for all fun kind. And, and... With all of that, no, Sean did not write that. No. Sean gave that to me as an example of, you know, WTH. Are you kidding me right now? Maybe Starbucks could say this, but this is a product that gives you diabetes, okay? This is not changing the world. This is not doing any of those things, but you know what we've got to do? We've got to attach some kind of fake meaning to this, in order to make people feel like they're part of something. Now, it's one thing to have this, because a lot of us can identify that this is junk. What if you're the guy that's putting this together? What if you're the person that's working on this kind of campaign? What if you're the person that's actually trying to sling candy as a life-changing moment? And I mean, I hope... I'm pretty sure there's no one here who's doing that. But... <laughs> 
I mean, and it, it happens in, in, in different areas, guys. What, what I'm trying to say is when we attach ultimate meaning to what we do, we're going to stumble. Ecclesiastes also reminds us of the fact that even if we're one of the very few that breaks through in terms of achievement, there's no guarantee that the one that we hand it to won't ruin it or that our legacy will last. Christopher Latham Scholes. Does anyone know who that is? He was born in Wisconsin. He invented the typewriter. Right? What a legacy. My, I don't even know that my kids know what the typewriter is. Uh, the older one does, you know. I'm sure, and, and this is what happens. I'm sure that when he invented this thing, it literally, it did. It changed the world for a moment. But as history continues, there's a sense in which I'm pretty sure none of us use typewriters right now. Probably not even John Fox. Where is he? You know. He's probably got one as a paperweight, you know, but we don't use them right now. Even if we succeed, I gave myself up to despair as I thought of all my laborious hard work under the sun because those that have worked hard with wisdom, knowledge, and skill must leave the results of their hard work as a possession to those who haven't worked hard. We search for meaning in our work. We're looking in the wrong place. In the past, we had a pretty simple idea of work. We provide, work provides for the things and experiences that make our life meaningful, okay? So in the past, we all sang the song, everyone's working for the weekend, right? That's the idea. My Monday to Friday is so that I can bankroll what gives me meaning on Saturday and Sunday. Now, this has changed because today we have a desire and an expectation that work itself must be meaningful and in and of itself important. So my product or output or role may not seem meaningful, but the challenge is if I'm de developing some kind of flimsy narrative to make it meaningful, I'm chasing the wind. What makes my work meaningful, as I said in week one, is that I am meaningful. Why am I meaningful? Because I'm meaningful to God. What works, makes my work meaningful is that His work, His world is meaningful. And my work impacts the world in a way that brings glory to him and contributes to human flourishing. That's why my work is meaningful. As I commit myself to bringing order out of chaos, to reflecting my creator, to contributing to the common good of the society, I'm building a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A kingdom that is pregnant with true meaning and hope that will last forever. It won't just last for 40 years. It won't even last for 400 years. It will last forever. We need to make work less of the center and more of a support to the kingdom that Jesus is building. Because human beings are primarily designed for relationship, not output. No matter the output, it will never be enough to satisfy the God-given desire in our souls to be fully known and fully loved. And that means for the people that we engage with in our day-to-day. -day. So how do we respond? I mean, there's a lot of kind of bad news, right? If we end here, then we'll be praying for a whole lot of you. But how do we respond when work is a place of stress, anxiety, trial, and disappointment, or just mundane, gray, and boring? Well, one of the responses is the Eeyore response. We can just be cynical, right? We can just say, all I can see are thorns. What's the point? 
I'm just a giant cog in a machine. Life is hard and then I die. Who I am and what I do does not matter. What's the point of trying? Don't try too hard. Don't care too much. Don't get your hopes up because even if I succeed, I will be forgotten. That's one approach. Not a very happy approach, but it's one approach. The other approach is idealism, right? How many of you have heard this? If you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. You guys heard that? Totally untrue. Now, if you're young and you're like there and kind of bright-faced, and let me just gently bring you back to earth. Work is work. Do you know why it's called work? Because we don't have to like it. That's why it's called work. Now, this idea of loving what you do and you'll never work in your day in your life is not just untrue, it's dangerous. Because remember, we talked about the idea of burnout being the difference between your expectation of work and the reality of what you're experiencing. Well, this idea that if only I can find this thing that is perfect for me to do, then there will be significant meaning in my life means that we are doing this. We're actually creating a bigger gap for us to fall into. The pendulum has swung from being just simply grateful for a job, which is what our parents were, to work that must be fulfilling and fruitful. The perfect match, it has to be the perfect match of my talents, my desires, my coworkers, my environment. Once I find those things, then work will be meaningful and fruitful and I will find meaning. Our parents unfortunately had too low a view of work and too low a view of themselves. The pendulum swings now where we have too high a view of ourselves and too high a view of work. So instead of cynicism and idealism, we look to consolation. We have to live in the tension of faith and reality. And we've spoken before about the kingdom of God being an already not yet kingdom. And the fact that even though we await for Jesus to return, and even though we know that things are broken, we are not impotent and powerless. Instead of swinging from cynicism to idealism, we need to understand that God has created both us and work as a way to contribute to human flourishing. So whether we know Jesus or not, whether people around us know Jesus or not, both man and work was created in order to bring about human flourishing. I sent a text to Enid, who was in the hospital, and she says, I'm not really sure what happened. I'm super grateful for the doctors because um, I feel like everything is fine. And I said, well, whether God met you in the context of healing or whether it was just common grace, we praise God for both. So she says to me, well, what is common grace? And Enid knows it. She just doesn't know it in that term. And common grace is the grace that God has given all humanity to be able to work for the better of all humanity. Whether that doctor knows Jesus or not, he extended common grace towards Enid. So we live in this tension of frustration and fulfillment we live in the tension of boredom and breakthrough. But this is the good news for us in the context of consolation. As Christ followers, regardless of what we do, we are part of the greatest, truest, most powerful narrative that has ever been written. We've been rescued by grace. We're part of his family. We have the privilege of joining God as he brings about the restoration of all things. 
And because we are co-workers with Jesus in his kingdom, our temporary discouragement will never be final. We will never ultimately be discouraged. So how I carry myself, how I love others, how I bring order out of chaos in a seemingly meaningless and fruitless environment is an opportunity for Jesus to be glorified. Our temporary discouragement is an opportunity for God to shape me and for God to display his glory to the world that is so desperate for meaning and so fearful that there isn't any. We don't have to design some kind of flaky narrative. We have a powerful, evocative, inclusive, eternal reality. We are his people. We are part of his kingdom. So what do we focus on? Band, you can come up. The end of Ecclesiastes, the writer says this. So this is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Worship God and keep God's commandments because this is what everyone must do. God will definitely bring every deed to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or bad. The first area of focus is that we follow his pattern for flourishing. This is the good news. We know what to do. In Ecclesiastes, it says this, worship God and keep his commandments because that's what everyone should do. Good news is we know what to do. The bad news is we don't do it very well. The bad news is, is that we can't do it in our own strength. That is the story of Israel, where God says, this is the way in which you are to behave, and yet they were not able to do it. But the better news is that Jesus has fulfilled the law and the prophets on our behalf. What we are unable to do, Jesus has done perfectly. Second thing is we are to rest in his finished work. I got you guys here up a little early, I'm sorry. Rest <laughs> in his finished work. I know, Jeremy was like, oh, is it finished already? Just don't Grammy me, okay. So, um, I know. So. Okay. We're to follow his pattern for flourishing. We are to rest in his finished work. What amazes me about Jesus is this. Jesus played the role of a carpenter. He played the role of a teacher. He played the role of philosopher, of healer, of miracle worker, of religious agitator. And yet this is how he describes himself, as one who came to seek and save the lost. He was the son of God. He knew who he was. I mean, if you look at Jesus' work, there is a sense in which when you look at it with human eyes, it looks, in a sense, pretty fruitless. Here's 11 guys, one who's just chopped off the ear of another one, another guy who ran away naked. Check it out, it's in the Bible. These are the people that you left behind. This is, the, this is the climax of your ministry. Because of his completed work mixed with our faith, it doesn't matter specifically the kind of work that we do. What matters is who we are. And we are children of the living God, forgiven, loved, and purposeful. Jesus' work has freed us from judgment. Jesus' work has freed us from meaninglessness. And Jesus' work has freed us from fruitlessness. Lastly, we are to anticipate the harvest. Paul says to the Galatian church, as he writes his letter to them, make no mistake, God is not mocked. A person will harvest what they plant. Those who plant only for their own benefit will reap devastation from their selfishness, 
but those who plant for the benefit of the Spirit will harvest eternal life from the Spirit. Let's not get tired of doing good, because in time we'll have a harvest if we don't give up. So then, let's work for the good of all. So Paul is saying, we exist here for the benefit of all, but especially for those of the household of faith. So my questions to you this morning are simple. Do I lean more towards cynicism when my work is fruitless or meaningless? Do I lean more towards idealism in the sense that I just need the perfect job? Maybe my expectations of myself, even in my current context, are too high or too low. But more importantly, do I have a relationship with Jesus where neither massive success nor massive failure is going to make me feel less secure about who I am? Do I have the kind of relationship with Jesus where neither massive success nor massive failure will shake me in terms of my true identity? Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are receiving, what? A kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let's continue to express our gratitude. With this gratitude, let's serve, and if I may, work in a way that is pleasing to God with respect and awe. Father, I want to thank you that even uh, in this kind of difficult topic of really coming to terms with what we're trying to find meaning in, your spirit is searching our souls. I do want to thank you, Father, for the fresh revelation that it's not what we do that gives us meaning, it's who we are. I do want to thank you that you give us grace to be able to function in seasons of fruitlessness and meaninglessness. But I do want to thank you that because we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, we will reap a reward of the seed that we have sown. We may not see it now, but we will see it fully when you return. I also want to thank you, my Jesus, that there is nothing that we sow now that will not last to eternity. I want to thank you that even as God will definitely bring every deed to judgment, nothing will be hidden, good or bad. I want to thank you that that is covered by the saturating grace of Jesus Christ. And I want to thank you that even though we can't walk according to your commands, that we have the Spirit of God that enables us to do that. I want to thank you that your finished work enables us to work with grace, with pride, in difficult moments. Come meet with us, Spirit of God. Thanks, Nick. Um, we're going to respond, as is our custom, uh, by going to the table. Um, and uh, I don't know, just as Nick was talking about the reality of our work and how often we feel like it's fruitless or meaningless and tend towards cynicism or idealism. Um, I'm just thinking about the foundations, how we started this series, um, the foundations on which we build our life. And um, Jesus told a story about that, about building on the solid foundation of his, of him and his teaching. It's like, that's the, actually the only thing that lasts. And uh, we actually get to come to a table that started over 2,000 years ago and it's still here. 
and it will be here. It will be here until, until the very end when Jesus literally said that he would not, he himself would not drink it again until he drinks it with us in the celebration of the fact that he, his work is not fruitless, it's fruitful. And um, I want to release you to grab the elements and I want to release you to take communion kind of on, on your own instead of we're doing it all together. The band is going to play. But I want to invite you to take it in a posture of reflecting on what Nick talked about. Uh, do you lean towards cynicism in your work? Do you lean towards idealism? Uh, if you've been around for a while and you've done a lot of work, you might have a tendency to question whether or not the work that you've given yourself to for the last 20 years meant anything, 30 years, 40 years, whatever. If you're, if you're young, you might be nervous and anxious about finding something that's worth giving your life to. And the reality is, when we build our lives on the foundation of who Jesus is, nothing is wasted. His work lasts. And this is a physical representation of the reality that his work lasts. And when we join our work to his, it will last as well. So as the band plays, I'd love to release you to grow, grab the elements and, and exchange. Whether you're cynic or ideal, what you get to do in this moment is exchange that cynicism or idealism for rest in his finished work and ask God to help you with that. If you need prayer, there's going to be people to my left, to your right, uh, that are going to be available to pray for you. Okay? So as the band goes, there's a, a table here in the back. There's one in the front, and there's one on the side. Go ahead and take communion on your own after you do a little business with God and pray and talk to him for a bit. Okay? God, we are so grateful that you are our shepherd. You are our father. We remind ourselves today of our true and primary identity. We can rest because of who you are and who you have made us to be. I pray as we go this week, Lord Jesus, you would help us to live in the tension of being on mission, but being able to live without striving. Um, bless these people. Go with them, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. We're not done. There's coffee in the back. It's really good coffee. It's iced coffee. There's plenty of incentive to go back. So please grab your kids. Come on back. Come hiking tonight. Uh, go out. Oh, ladies, sign up. <laughs>